seven, Stan Good morning, Met fans, and happy hump day to you. How you doing? Today is Wednesday, January 4th, and we got a lot of Met news to talk about today. So let's start off now with Carlos Correa. Yes, our daily Carlos Correa saga segment. It appears like Carlos Correa is going to sign with the Mets. All speculation is that... Uh, Everyone expects the deal to get done. Now, a possible resolution may be coming this week. Though the deal could look a lot different than the original 12-year, $315 million contract that was originally reported. Ken Rosenthal, the Athletics, says, I do expect to get it resolved. I don't know how exactly it gets resolved, and that clearly is a complex situation. Insurance is part of this equation as well. As we go forward, what do we expect? We expect the Mets to get this done at some point. We expect it to be a dramatically different deal. It's not going to be 12 years, $315 million guaranteed. The question again is to what extent does the language change? Does the deal change? And how is, Car how is Carlos Correa going to be as he gets through all of this? Will he be a happy Met? Will he be upset? Who knows? Rosenthal goes on to say, I would assume this week we will see some resolution and then we see the Mets spring into further action. They're going to need to make some more trades. Well, we'll see about that. Uh, everyone's always looking to make trades to improve their ball club. Whether or not they can be done in a realistic sense is another story. But I do believe that Carlos Correa will be a perfect addition to the Mets. And uh, when you get an all-star caliber player... And it doesn't cost you anything as far as future or players, current players. I say go ahead and do it. Now, one Met we will not be seeing anymore, unfortunately, is Dom Smith. Dom was a fan favorite. And during the COVID year, he had a fantastic abbreviated season. And uh, I actually thought that he was going to be the Mets' first baseman. I actually, at one point, and I know... I'm not an expert. That's why I'm doing this podcast. I'm not a GM. I actually thought he should have been the first baseman over Pete Alonso uh, at one point. Yeah, I know. I need to stop smoking the crack pipe, I guess. But according to multiple reports, Smith has agreed to a one-year deal with the Nationals where he will play his new natural position of first base, which is good to see. And the deal is worth $2 million with an additional $2 million available as performance bonuses. Now, Smith... Came up through the Mets farm system after being selected in the first round of the 213 MLB draft. He played six seasons with the Mets with his best year coming, as I mentioned, in the shortened campaign of 2020 when he slashed 316, 377, 616 with 10 homers and 42 RBIs. With Pete Alonso rising to stardom, Smith's path is becoming, of becoming an everyday first baseman for the Mets became blocked. And while they gave him some playing time in left field and even had him play some first base once the DH was instituted in the NL, Smith struggled to find his groove. Playing just 58 games in 2022, 
while slashing 194, 276, 284 before a July ankle injury led to a minor league rehab assignment. And unfortunately, he never made it back to the bigs. I do wish Dom Smith well. Uh, he was a fan favorite, and he's just one of those guys you hate to see, but you know it's the right thing for him to move on. So good luck, Dom. We'll be seeing you a lot with the Nationals this year. Uh, just don't beat us. Do well against the other teams. Uh, but where does that lead us with Dom Smith gone? Well, there's a lot. The Mets are pretty, pretty, pretty deep. And uh, I think we'll be okay without Dom. Again, I just think it's sad to see him go. Now, a little transaction the Mets made the other day was they signed lefty T.J. McFarlane to a minor league deal. Now, McFarlane put together a stellar first season with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2021. He pitched the second lowest ERA of his career, 2.56, and a career well 1.06 whip across 38.2 innings of work. His second season with the Cards wasn't quite as successful. Now, McFarlane's a predominant low-walk ground ball pitcher and saw his walk rate increase to 7.6% and his ground ball rate shoot down to 54.3%. As a result, he more than doubled his ERA 6.61. The 34-year-old began his major league career pitching for Mets manager Buck Showalter with Baltimore Orioles, so maybe Buck can revive some of that magic. Perhaps pitching coach Jeremy Hefner will be able to round McFarland sinker as primary pitch back into form. Either way, McFarlane likely serve as bullpen depth for Showalter and the Mets in 2023. In that department, New York has also added Tommy Hunter, Sean Reed Foley, Stephen Ridwings, and Jimmy Vagabonis and Zach Green, amongst the others, to the mix this offseason. Uh, as I mentioned in the podcast in previous seasons, I'm a big fan of Sean Reed Foley. I think he has a live arm. He just needs the proper coaching. We'll see where that leads. Now, I don't know if you guys have been watching any of the Dominican Winter Ball League. Uh, it's on MLB.tv, and they telecast it live, which is pretty cool. The only thing is, you have to know how to speak Spanish, or not speak Spanish, understand Spanish. Otherwise, uh, you just have to let your eyes do the talking. Uh, all the games are broadcast in Spanish, but it's fun to watch. And you can see Robinson Cano. He's been playing, and Ronnie Mauricio has been playing. And uh, the more I watch Ronnie Mauricio, he's a stud. He looks like, he not only plays like a ball player, he looks like a baseball player. And it's getting to the point now the Mets may want to hold on to him rather than use him in a trade. Uh, the Mets have made it clear that they do not want to trade their prospects, Mauricio included, as they look to build that to be a sustainable contender. Now, I'm sure if Shohei Otani or another special player will become available, they will be willing to reroute their plan for a special circumstance. But he, then I would hate to see a guy like Mauricio leave. His performance in Winter Bowl, he was named the MVP of the Dominican Winter League, should have been thinking about his potential to be a long-term fit in Queens. He has played shortstop and third base and even made an appearance at second base this winter. If the Carlos Correa deal comes to fruition, the left side of the infield could be set for a long time with Correa and Lindor. Now, I have been outspoken for some time, and I believe that the Mets should be looking to get Mauricio reps in the outfield this spring training. He's probably too big for second base, but he should have enough of an arm and athleticism to handle a corner outfield spot. 
I would expect him to start Triple A Syracuse, possibly in the lineup with Alvarez, Beatty, and Vientos. And I'm going to get that MILB package because it looks like it's going to be a fun year in Syracuse this year. Now, the Mets need to develop arms, and they haven't signed any top international arms. They drafted pitchers in the first round rarely, but have gone for top arms internationally. But have not gone, I should say, for top arms internationally. Now, could it be a front office stance to take away from top arms uh, internationally? Uh, the Mets did sign Kodai Senga from Japan, and you're clamoring for more international pitching, you're probably saying. The question is asking about young arms from Latin America. Now, let's face the fact that with the phrase top international arms is an oxymoron. The Mets haven't signed them simply because they don't exist. MLB's top pipe, pipeline, top-ranked international pitcher, was number 31 overall, and there was just one other pitcher in the top 50. So that may be part of the answer to this question. Now, Pipeline's rankings date back to 2012, and only once has a top an arm top the list. Yadier Alvarez, who has yet to throw a major league pitch eight years after Los Angeles, drafted him and gave him a $16 million. I shouldn't say drafted. They signed him out of Cuba for $16 million. Now, international prospects already face many obstacles once signed, from turning pro at the same age as American high school sophomores to leaving their home countries for the States, not all of them even get that far. Add the intricacies of pitching on top of that, and it's no surprise that some of the recent success stories were signed at an older age than their peers, like the Houston Astros' Framber Valdez, Christian Javier, and Jose Urquidy. And I'll end by saying that the Mets actually have a strong group of pitching prospects who were signed as international free agents within the last two or three years. Leona Alvarez and Yoami Ramirez are names to watch in 2023. Javier Atencio looked very impressive, impressive with St. Lucie, and Joel Diaz ended a rocky first-year stateside. But none of them appeared on the national rankings prior to their signing periods or commanded seven-figure bonuses, but it would not shock me if one or two of them jumped into the upper echelon of the Mets farm system by this time next year. Now, what outfield prospect has a better chance of being the Mets center fielder in the post-Nimmo era, Alex Ramirez or Simon Juan? Now, remember, Nimmo signed an eight-year deal with the Mets, and I'm guessing the post-Nimmo era means his future move to a corner outfield spot, uh, which could very well happen. We have to see what the future bears once Starling Marte's career is over. Uh, but Ramirez is the man for me. Uh, he's the number four-ranked prospect in the system, and he's the only prospect in the system which shows a touch of all five tools. He still needs work on the plate discipline, and some swing mechanics need to be ironed out. But as a 19-year-old putting up a 782 OPS between low St. A. St. Louis and high A. Brooklyn, he had the Mets people excited. He should begin 2023 with high A. Brooklyn with the chance to make the double A Birmingham as a 20-year-old. Juan, on the other hand, just signed a 2022 international signing period for $1.9 million. He only has 53 games professional experience in the Dominican Summer League, where he posted a 633 OPS in his first foray into Pro Bowl. He's tooled up and has sky-high upside, but right now the 17-year-old is really a raw piece of clay as a player that just needs to be molded by this Met player development system. We'll see where Juan ends up like in a year or two, but right now Ramirez is nearing the upper minors and his performance is already ranked among the top 100 prospects in the sport. 
MLB Pipeline has him at 85 with a chance to be ranked much higher than that a year from now. He was able to pull out all his world tools to get him fill his potential the next couple of years. We could see Nimmo, as I said, move to left or right field as he enters his mid-30s and replaced by Ramirez. Uh, Nimmo probably would be better off in left field, although he's really developed into a good center fielder. So we'll see what happens there. Now, what pitcher in the Met Farm system could have a breakout season? Now, we do have Matt Allen and Blade Tidwell. Uh, but there's also another guy that uh, you got to keep an eye on. And that would be Calvin Ziegler. Ziegler uh, is really looking good. He's got his fastball up to 96, 97 miles an hour. And over six starts from mid-April to mid-May, he struck out 45, 45% of the batters he faced. A feat accomplished in the majors just once last season by Otani. But for the rest of the year, Ziegler looked like a 19-year-old just getting his feet wet. His command failed him at times, and the chase rates on the secondaries were lackluster, potentially indicating the need for work on his pitch mix and movement profiles. It certainly didn't help that he missed most of June and July with nagging injuries. And he's a very intelligent young man and understands the craft of pitching on a level beyond his years. He is in a great spot to make adjustments and thrive in the organization as increasingly becoming committed to data-driven information. So the Mets do their homework on all of these prospects, and that's the good thing. Steve Cohen knows that that's ultimately the way to go, is through the farm system, developing these guys. And it's always good to have a guy begin and end his career as a New York Met. I thought Jacob DeGrom would be that guy. Ain't happening. But it looks like Brandon Nimmo is, and that's a perfect example. It seems like the longer a player plays after being brought up from the organization remains with the organization, he develops and prospers. So let's hope we have more Brandon Nimmo's along the way. Remember the days when the manager was the manager and called all the shots, then they got a bench coach, and uh, hitting coaches were just hitting coaches. Now we have assistant hitting coaches, and the Mets are expected to name Eric Hinsky as their assistant hitting coach. Hinsky will work on the Jeremy Barnes was named hitting coach earlier this season when Eric Chavez who was the Met hitting coach in 2022 during what was his first season on the coaching staff, was named the bench coach for the 2023 season. Looks like they may be grooming Chavez to replace Buck one day. But let's not digress. Hensky played in the majors from 202 to 2013 and began his MLB coaching career in 2014 for the Chicago Cubs, where he worked until 2017, initially as a first base coach before becoming the assistant hitting coach. He was then hired by the Los Angeles Angels under then-GM Billy Epler to be their hitting coach for the 2018 season. From 2019 to 2020-21, Hinsky was the Arizona Diamondbacks assistant hitting coach. So welcome aboard, Aaron Hinsky. Let's get those bats popping. Now it's time to make a shameless plug for our Facebook group companion to this podcast, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. If you're on Facebook and haven't joined the group, please do. Great content every day. Uh, so many people participating. We have uh, many features every day, amongst them Trivia and Jeopardy, and we'll get right to that in a second. So if you're on Facebook and haven't joined the group, please do join. It's New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. You'll be glad you did. Great stuff there every day. And now, as promised, today's Met Trivia and Jeopardy, as was posted in the group. Now... Who's ready? Get your pen and pencils ready. 
Today's trivia question. What Met pitcher set a club record for most batters faced without giving a home run in without giving up a home run at 243? The streak was broken by Adam Dunn of the Reds. In today's Jeopardy, two clues as always. First clue was discovered by the son of a Shea Stadium usher, John Lucchese, who caught him when he pitched in the United States Army at Fort Bliss, Texas. In Game 3 of the 1973 NLCS against the Reds, he pitched a complete game for a 9-2 victory in a game that was headlined by Pete Rose's altercation with Met shortstop Bud Harrelson. Lock in your answers, and we'll be back to tell you how you did at the end of the podcast. Now, as we always do, it's time to celebrate Met birthdays. Who's ready? Get out the party hats and let's celebrate. Born on this date, Bart Shirley. Bart played for the Mets for six games at 12 at-bats in 1967. He was a second baseman. He played second for three games. He also played for the Dodgers in 64, 66, and 68 and won number six as a Met. Also celebrating a birthday today. Paul Gibson. Who remembers Paul? Paul wore number 45 with the Mets and he pitched with us in 92 and 93. 92 is when he saw the most action with the Mets, pitched 62 innings, uh, had an ERA of 5.23. Now he was traded with Randy Marshall by the Tigers to the Mets in exchange for Mark Carrion and Tony Castillo. Mark, the pinch hitting specialist. And Paul wore number 45 with the Mets. And happy birthday to Daryl Boston. Daryl was on the team when we had Daryl Strawberries. There were two Daryls at the Mets at one time. Daryl wore number seven and six with the Mets. And he was picked up by the Mets from on waivers from the White Sox in 1990, April 30th. And then he signed with the Rockies as free agent on December 21st in 1992. But the interim played three seasons with the Mets. Got a significant amount of playing time. Three years combined, he had 910 at-bats. And uh, all told, his Met batting average was 266. Uh, slugging percentage of 429 and OBP of 338. So he was a serviceable player for the Mets. All told, he had 27 home runs. And I remember he hit one at Shea. Oh my God, it went a mile. I still remember that. That's the one thing I'll remember about Darrell Boston. When he could connect, he could connect. And also celebrating a birthday last but not least, Kevin Pillar, one of our Met favorite players during his era in 2021. Uh, Kevin was a pretty damn good ball player, if you ask me. Great defensive ball player. And unfortunately, remember when he got hit in the face with that baseball the one time uh, on a pitch? Oof, was not a pretty sight. Uh, and unfortunately, that's probably the image most of us remember about Kevin Pillar's tenure with the Mets. He wore number 11 with the Mets. He signed with us as a free agent in uh, February 21st, 2021, and then signed with the Dodgers as a free agent last season. But we'll always remember his one year with the Mets. It was a good one. And before we wrap up the podcast, let's get back to our trivia and Jeopardy question of the day, shall we? Once again, the trivia question was, what Met pitcher set a club record for most batters face without giving up a home run at 243. The streak was broken by Adam Dunn of the Reds. And the correct answer is Big Pelf, Mike Pelfrey. High hopes for Mike Pelfrey. He's a good pitcher with the Mets, but I think they wanted more out of him. 
but fond memories of Mike Pelfrey nonetheless. And our two final Met Jeopardy clues were, was discovered by the son of a Shea Stadium usher, John Lucchese, who caught him when he pitched in the United States Army at Fort Bliss, Texas. And in Game 3 of the 73 NLCS against the Reds, he pitched a complete game for a 9-2 victory in a game that was headlined by Pete Rose's altercation with Mets shortstop Bud Harrelson. The correct response to the Mets' final Jeopardy is, who is Jerry Kuzman? Congrats to group member Jeff Borer on being the first to submit the correct answer. Well, that's going to wrap up our podcast today. Hope you enjoyed it as always, and we'll be back tomorrow with another one. Until then, keep counting those days down to opening day. I think we're down to 86 now, aren't we? Anyway, uh, let's go Mets. Thanks for listening, and again, thanks for all your support. Take care, and let's go Mets. the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies, bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life because the Mets are really sucking the ball. Knocking those home runs over the wall. East side, west side. Everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets of New And the people on the streets Where do they go? To meet the Mets! Oh, they're hollering and cheering And they're jumping in their seats Where do they go? To meet the Mets! All the fans are true to the orange and blue So hurry up and come on down Cause we got ourselves a ball club The Mets of New York Town Step right up and greet the Mets.